We're in week three of our series on faith questions, and we started this whole thing off uh, with uh, asking congregants and others uh, to let me know what kind of questions they had about faith, about our statement of faith, about things that were going on uh, in their own sort of faith lives and development as disciples. Uh, and y'all did not disappoint. Uh, y'all came through with some really great questions. We started uh, with why bad things happen to good people. Uh, we spent some time last week about whether or not everyone is a part of God's family or not. Uh, and this week we're talking about uh, a question that comes up several times, uh, actually several times a month. I'll have somebody ask me this question. And it often comes after we read our statement of faith. At the end it says that we live the mystery that Christ died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And the question becomes, when? Why? How? What is that going to look like? So we're going to do uh, a little bit of talking about that today, just to sort of let you know where we are in the Gospel of John, which we were in a later part uh, of John last week. Uh, this week we're in the fifth chapter of John. Uh, John uh, does not tell the birth story, right? John simply does. Uh, in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was God. Uh, and uh, he doesn't do sort of a life and uh, analogy of Jesus. Uh, you get the first couple of chapters are pretty powerful stories. One is the wedding at Cana. Another is the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, and then we get to chapter 5 where Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Uh, and what's happening in this context is that the Jewish religious leaders were not happy with Jesus, not happy with Jesus at all. They did not like the way he was teaching. They did not like the power that he was exhibiting when he healed people. They did not like the followers that he was beginning to amass. Uh, they did not like the fact that he didn't follow all of the Jewish laws and customs. Uh, and there were two things in chapter 5 in the beginning story that happened that really make them angry. One, Jesus says, God is my Father. He uses that Abba language and says, I am the Son of the Most High God. And that really makes them angry. Then he does something else. He heals a young paralytic on the Sabbath, which is supposedly a day of rest. Uh, and, you know, that's breaking a couple of Jewish laws, and the religious leaders were not happy about it. Jesus has some conversations, and then he comes to this moment. Verse 25 through 29 in John, the fifth chapter. Very truly, I tell you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. God has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, bless the reading and the hearing of this, your holy word. But especially, O oh God, bless its doing. Amen. Have you ever waited expectantly for someone to come home? Maybe one of your kids on a long trip or even a weekend away. Maybe it was a beloved, one of your, your spouse, your significant other that was gone for an extended period of time. 
Maybe it's you going back to get together with family and friends. We often are anticipating a return, either them returning to us or, or, uh, or our returning to them. One of the biggest return stories that I remember growing up happened when I was about eight years old. This was in the 1970s, right? Early 1970 was when this event happened. Uh, I grew up in the Wiseman family. There were uh, three kids, uh, Bill, who was the oldest, my dad, Keith, uh, and their little sister, Nancy. Bill had four sons, stair step. There was two years between one set of them, but the rest of them were seven, eight, nine, and 11. The three of us girls were born uh, and we were stair steps as well. There was one year between the lowest year of Bill's boys to the first year of us. Uh, and then Nancy and Danny, uh, my other aunt and uncle, they had kids much later. So when we were all together, these seven wise men, right, uh, we, there was two years between the oldest and the youngest. That's the biggest gap there was. So we spent time together. We had a good time. We loved each other. It was fun to be around. My grandparents had a farm, so we would occasionally see them. Bill and the boys were not there on a regular basis, though. Bill was in the Air Force. He had grown up in Dumas, Texas, and had this affinity for flying. My dad says there was one of those crop dusters that came through when Bill was about seven or eight years old, uh, and they sold rides on the crop duster to people who came by, uh, and that Bill took that ride, and he rode, and he came home, and it was as if his entire life had changed. He knew that what he wanted to do for his life was to fly. He went to, uh, uh, to high school, uh, went to college, and he went to Texas A&M University, which is uh, uh, an ROTC, very prominent place. There's the Corps of Cadets. He was in the military uh, parade sort of uniform stuff on a regular basis. He was a singer. Uh, he loved uh, doing anything to get ready for uh, the ROTC. Well, when I'm about eight years old, I remember that we were going to a big family reunion. And uh, Bill's boys had not been around a lot because he was in the military after he graduated from college. They were in this station and that station and stuff like that. We knew that there were some sort of secret things that we weren't sure about. You know, we heard about sort of his, his mystery missions on the other side of the Iron Curtain. Uh, we would hear these stories about where he was uh, and how he was on guard 24-7, ready to, to strike at any moment uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But in 1970, the whole family came together. Bill and his family came uh, because Bill was going away. So he moved Boots, his wife, and their four sons to Amarillo near their grandparents, near my dad and our family, uh, and near his sister and brother-in-law. The reason was unknown to many of us, but we have this reunion and we drive up and, you know, we're laden with the jello salad and, you know, the potato salad and there's fried chicken and all kinds of stuff because my grandmother says where two or more are gathered, there must be fried chicken. Uh, and so it had to be there. So we drive up and I see these signs outside and they say, farewell, Bill, we'll be thinking of you, bye, dad, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? And they said, well, Bill has to leave for a while. We're not sure exactly how long he's going to be gone, but we're going to come and, and have a, a party today to wish him farewell. So we get in there, and there's games in the backyard, and there's all kinds of food on the table, and uh, Bill is uh, in the floor playing with all the kids and doing games and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I thought, this is a great family reunion. I have no idea what's going on, but this is kind of fun. Uh, and uh, I looked over um, a couple of times at my Aunt Boots, his wife, and she had tears coming down her cheeks. 
She would watch very intently as Bill was playing a card game with two of the boys. And he would get up and go do something, and she would cry just a little bit harder. She didn't want him to see. I looked at my dad, and my dad's eyes were kind of misting up a little bit. My grandmother was almost beside herself. She was fidgeting with her hands and doing all kinds of stuff with the food. And I, I just finally came over to my dad, and I said, has somebody died? And he said, no, we're wishing farewell to Bill. And I said, okay, where is he going? And he said, Vietnam. I didn't know what that meant. We hadn't really paid a whole lot of attention to that point, as many Americans had not been paying a close attention until it really began to escalate. My Uncle Bill flew B-47s and B-52s. He was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, and he was in charge of an entire airplane ship, right, an airplane. He was in charge of the crew. He was in charge of making sure the bombing runs were taken in the way that they were supposed to be taken. And he was off to Vietnam, and I didn't understand any of that. What I did understand is shortly after that, my parents started watching the evening news even more closely. There were a couple of times I would come in the room during the evening news, and I would see on the screen, Vietnam Count, KIA, MIA, I didn't know what that meant, so I asked my parents. My parents said every night, every day, we get a count of how many U.S. service members have been killed and how many of them are missing. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, so every night we have to watch this count and see if Bill's name comes up? And they said, no, 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 the names don't come up there. And so I'm like, so we don't know if he's on that list or not? I was traumatized. I was eight. But I knew that what was going on in the news was not something we wanted to be a part of. As a family, we did not want Bill there. And we constantly heard stories about Bill's escapades or his missions, but we didn't hear whole stories. Bill loved his job. He did his job. He paid for his job. And his psyche, his mentality, all of the things that he had to do to get through that time period. Fifteen months later, Bill was uh, leaving Vietnam, and we were told to be at the Amarillo Airport at a certain point in time. We got to the airport. The whole family's there. My grandparents are there, all Bill kid, Bill's kids in boots, my dad's kids, my aunt's kids. We're all sitting there, and we have these signs that say, Welcome home, Bill. Bill, we're glad you're back. Well, you know, all, Love you, Dad, all these kind of signs. And there are multitudes of people standing behind this rope waiting for a plane to land. They got delayed a little bit, and so we had to wait a long time. We were like skipping and running and going in and out and under the rope, and every once in a while, one of the military guards would come over and say, stay behind the rope, please. I know you're excited, but stay behind the rope. We were sitting there, just sat a plane on the ground and watching, and all of a sudden, someone saw a plane coming from way off. And as it got closer and closer, the guard sort of pushed us back even more and said, they're on their way, they're about to land, just be patient. They landed, took a little while for the door to open and a ladder, you know, one of the, the things to go up so that they could come down. And a couple of guys started coming out. Remember, this was in 1971, it's all guys. A couple of these guys would come out and their families would just erupt in cheers and other people would cheer waiting for their person to come through. 
And I remember there was a couple of guys who kind of looked like Bill, but it wasn't Bill. And I was like, I know Bill, but I'm nine. Am I sure that I can find him, you know? Uh, and then he walks out, and he has those cool aviator sunglasses on that he had always had on my entire life. And I look at him, and he doffs his cap, and his family and us, we just went berserk screaming. And Bill gets at the bottom of the steps, and he does this, come and get me. And we're like, there's a gate right here. I mean, you know, there's literally guards right here not letting us through. And Bill says, come and get me. And it's like, he's the lieutenant colonel. Who's going to stop him, right? So we scream across the runway, start grabbing at my uncle. We were so excited. It was delightful to have him home. During that time period, he aged quite a bit. He didn't look the same as he did when he left. He was a cool dude, though. He loved singing. He loved gardening and cooking. He loved to read. Bill didn't just let that be the end of his career. He stayed on for his uh, full tour so that he could retire, moved his family multiple times to different parts of the world, ended up in Montana where he ended uh, sort of his public life as a state legislator for the state of Montana for about 12 years. He also was a financial analyst, and he was just an all-around sailor, flyer, cool guy who continued to wear aviator glasses for the rest of his life. Bill died in uh, 19, uh, 2017. It was really a tough death. He had lived in a nursing home for the last eight years of his life with ever-progressing dementia. By the time he did die, it had been a number of years since he knew any of his kids, knew any of his grandkids, knew any of his siblings. Every once in a while he would start singing though. He would sing songs that he had sung in his entire life. And everyone was waiting and hoping that he would have that one moment when my, my dad and mom went up there to visit or when the boys were there, where he would just sort of brighten up for a second and know who they were. And it didn't happen. When Bill died, I knew from the moment I was eight until the moment that I was 56 that his days were numbered. He was a cool uncle. I didn't see him all the time, but that story has stuck with me. That story of being at the airport and just being so excited about somebody coming home and the fact that he wasn't going to be on the news. He wasn't going to be a number on their slide that went up on the nightly news but someone else's uncle would, someone else's brother or son, someone else's father. There are moments in our life that become so entrenched in us. We need something to fix it. We need it to turn around. We need it to be solved. We need the, the problem to come to an end. We need the disease to go away. We need the loved one that we lost to be back with us in our arms. There are so many things that we wish we could have a do-over on. The thing about the second coming is it was not about a do-over. It was about a return. In Greek, the word that is used in the Greek uh, uh, text is parousia, which means arrival or return. And what the people during that time period when Jesus had died, they were waiting for him to come back any minute now. 
The early church was based on the premise that Jesus had taught them, Jesus had died, he had gone and uh, he had been resurrected, he had visited them multiple times, and then he ascended into heaven. And the story was that all the disciples knew he's coming back soon. Within a few years, he'll be back for sure. They taught their followers that Jesus was on his way back any time now. They told everyone, we know you're sad that he is gone, but he will return in a moment. And so everything about the early church was pointed forward looking for that return, that parousia, that return, that second coming. And when he didn't come back during the first generation of those disciples, they were like, what do we do now? How do we continue to talk about a second coming? We have no clue when he's coming. So the entire story of faith, the entire way that they sort of worked through and walked through faith changed in that first generation. They stopped preaching about what Jesus was going to do, and they started preaching about what Jesus had done. It was a total 180 shift where we once talked about what is to come, now we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it became a, a backward-looking faith in some ways. What had happened? Some traditions continue to do the, the looking forward and waiting for the second coming. Some of you have been a part of or know folks who are in those kinds of denominations. I have nothing against them. It's the way that they choose to live, and it's always about the coming. It's always about preparing for that coming. And that coming is going to come in a flash of light. It's going to come in tremendous tribulation. The rapture and tribulation is going to happen. Uh, and, and this text even talks about, you know, that second coming that when Jesus comes back, people who are dead, whose souls have not ascended to heaven, if they live good lives, they get to go to heaven. And those who have not lived good lives, they, they get an eternity of condemnation. There have been a number of times when we were even told when the second coming was going to happen, right? Remember 2012? The end of the world was coming, but it didn't. Now, wait a minute. There are teachings in the book of Revelation that say Jesus will return, but we may not recognize it, and there will be seven years of tribulation for those who got left behind and then Jesus will return. We could be in the midst of this. How many of you had people leave in 2012? Okay, we're safe, baby. I don't know. There are so many stories, so many ideas about what this second coming is going to look like. And some of that is biblical. Some of it is analogies. Some of it is dream sequences. If you really think about how some of these things were. The book of Revelation, a lot of people think it's talking about what is to come. But many other scholars say it was actually about something that already had happened knows. So we as Christians, we have a choice. Some traditions, as I said, look forward, and that's the only direction they go. Some look backwards to the cross, and they only talk about how we have been forgiven, and we're to live discipled lives. I would love to have two eyes on the, you know, on the side of each of my head so I can look backwards and forwards at the same time. I want to embrace and acknowledge the gift of God that, that shared that love with me, that mercy, that grace that I believe is given to all people. But I also want to anticipate what might come. 
not to live in fear or, or, or dread, but to know that there is something coming that I may not know. And Jesus even says on a number of times, you will not know when it happens. But I will come for you. I don't know what that looks like. What I know is that the church has to make a decision. Do we look backwards or do we look forwards? It's true for this church as well. Do we look backwards at who we were? Do we sit in who we are? Or do we find a way to move forward to who God calls us to be? You see, that mystery of faith that Christ died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, it is called the great mystery because we don't have it figured out, because we don't have the answer, because we live in faith. Do I know for an actual fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead? Do I know for an actual fact that Jesus is coming back? I have faith, and that's enough. I believe to the core of my being that we will never be left alone, that God is with us always, and that those whom we love, who have died, have gone to be with God, and we will be reunited with them at some point in the future. How that all happens is a little sketchy for me. And that's okay. My Uncle Bill was a cool guy. He was a little different after he got back. As folks often are, coming back from military service or other issues, contextual sort of crisis or trauma. But I never lost hope that my Uncle Bill would come outside every time we saw him. He'd have his aviator glasses on and he would strike that pose, and he'd go, come and get me. That's what Jesus says to us every day. I'm right here. Come and get me. Amen.